well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome back to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. Not to brag or anything, because I did see the uh, headlines about uh, how there's going to be this you know, heat belt across the United States. Uh, by like 2050, we're going to see 125 degree temperatures in the summer. Um, yeah, I'm wearing a hoodie today because it's August 15th. And uh, in central Virginia, uh, the highest is supposed to be, I think, 69 degrees. Yeah, I got to tell you, it's abs- this is the craziest summer that we've had in central Virginia. The grass is so green in mid-August. This was this morning. I had a couple of visitors uh, show up in the pasture next to my office. So they uh, decided to pose for a picture. But uh, I cannot believe how green the grass is. We're still mowing like every week. By this time, the yard is supposed to be dead. I'm supposed to not have to do as much yard work, but uh, no, that is not the case. I suppose if I wanted something like that, I could move to Arizona, right? And uh, that was a nice little segue because we're going to be talking about Arizona on the program today, specifically the Senate race between incumbent Mark Kelly, who you know was elected two years ago to fill the remainder of the late Senator John McCain's term. So this was a special election. Uh, And he's up for a full six-year term this November, facing Republican Blake Masters, who won a uh, very crowded Republican primary uh, not long ago. Now, what's fascinating about this is Mark Kelly, you know, is the husband of Gabrielle Giffords, former congresswoman. He is the co-founder of the gun control group Giffords. And yet, you would hardly know any of those things. If you watched Mark Kelly's campaign ads, if you went to Mark Kelly's campaign website, Mark Kelly is not just downplaying his support for gun control. I mean, acknowledgement of his support for gun control is almost non-existent. So if you go to Mark Kelly's website, his campaign website, you see this at the top of the screen. There, First of all, there is no issues button to be found. You can learn more about Mark You can uh, learn the latest news. You can get involved, but you can't find anything about where he stands on gun control issues. In fact, the only mention of gun control that I could find anywhere on Mark Kelly's campaign website was in his biography, uh, where he talks about uh, in January of 2013, in the wake of the tragic shooting at Sandy or 2000. uh, Excuse me, yeah, 2013, in the wake of the tragic shooting at San Diego Elementary School, Mark and Gabby co-founded the organization Giffords, which unites veterans, law enforcement officials, gun owners, faith leaders, and Americans of all stripes to reduce gun violence and make our communities safer. So even then, he doesn't mention gun control, right? It's all couched in gun safety. And of course, there's no talk about anything that Giffords actually is trying to do. Support for bans on so-called assault weapons, trying to declare that uh, some automatic firearms are, in fact, like machine guns and should be regulated under the National Firearms Act. No mention of David Chipman, uh, the Gifford senior advisor, who was Joe Biden's first nominee as permanent director of the ATF. I mean, none of that. Now, what is interesting, so I went into the news section, figuring that maybe there'd be some sort of press release that uh, Kelly put out. After the uh, bipartisan Senate gun deal uh, was approved. No, no press release. No press release 
for the first, what was this? I mean, this was billed by the media as the first significant gun control legislation to be approved by Congress in more than 30 years. And Mark Kelly doesn't talk about it. There's nothing on his campaign website about it. Now, you can find plenty of mention about abortion. For instance, uh, last month, in case you missed it, Senator Kelly hosts roundtable discussion, reaffirms commitment to protecting abortion access to Arizona women. Uh, the month before that, in June, uh, simply Mark Kelly stands up for abortion rights. But no corresponding press release about the passage of the Senate gun deal? Weird. Or maybe not. As the uh, Atlantic reported during the uh, debate and the discussions over that uh, Senate deal, there was a, quote, surprising voice missing from those talks. Mark Kelly, who the Atlantic says made his name advocating for new gun laws after his wife was shot, but he didn't play a role in the big Senate compromise that passed last night. Why was that? Well, a couple of uh, theories thrown out there in the Atlantic piece. Uh, they write, uh, Kelly's arm-length approach to gun control is consistent with how he's handled the issue since he became a politician, according to Democrats who've worked with him. Despite his biography and experience, he deliberately did not make the issue a centerpiece of his 2020 campaign, nor has he made it a signature issue as a senator. He's made more national headlines breaking with the Biden administration on southern border policy and touting legislation to ban members of Congress from trading stocks than he has in championing gun control. Uh, one uh, Democratic advisor says, well, it's a known quantity for Mark Kelly. Everybody in Arizona knows that he's, uh, you know, Gabby Gifford's husband, uh, knows that he's the co-founder of Giffords, knows that he supports gun control. So there's no reason for him to talk about it. And that's not how politics works. I mean, honestly, you don't say, well, this is baked into the cake, so therefore I don't have to bring it up. No, I mean, if that's what you're known for, then you play to your strengths, quote unquote, right? She said, I don't know that gun control is a strength for Mark Kelly in Arizona in any year, uh, but certainly not in a year where Republicans are expected to do quite well. Um, also, going back to this Atlantic piece, they did talk about uh, in that uh, piece the 2020 campaign. Um, where gun control did emerge as an issue very late in the campaign. Uh, as the Atlantic writes, Republicans tried to attack Kelly on guns during the final weeks of the campaign with then-Senator Martha McSally accusing him during a debate of running a, quote, radical political organization, a clunky reference to the gun control group that Kelly launched with his wife. The criticism was seen as a desperate move from a candidate down in the polls. Kelly defended Giffords while also noting that he was a gun owner in support of the Second Amendment. He's almost impenetrable on this issue, Mike Noble, an Arizona pollster, told me. By keeping relatively quiet on guns, he said Kelly could inoculate himself against charges that he was politicizing his wife's tragedy while effectively daring the GOP to attack him. Well, here's the thing. I don't think you've got to attack Mark Kelly for wanting to do something after his wife was shot. I don't even think you have to attack Mark Kelly for starting a group that ostensibly is designed to make us safer. I, I think the accurate and 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 frankly honest criticism of Mark Kelly is what this group is proposing to do and what it would mean if they got their way to legal gun owners and law-abiding citizens trying to exercise the right to keep their arms in the state of Arizona. I think that is entirely fair game. I don't think you have to do that by attacking his uh uh, <clears throat> his personal history, 
by uh, attacking the grief that uh, he obviously felt and the desire to uh, to do something so that events like this don't happen again. As gun owners and gun control advocates, that's not where we disagree. Where we disagree is on the solution to prevent those types of attacks from taking place, right? Mark Kelly, even though he says he's a gun owner, wants to target legal gun owners. That's the mission of Giffords, and he wants to target the firearms industry. Giffords, again, has basically declared that public enemy number one is the firearms industry. So if you want to, for example, if Mark Kelly wants to bring up the fact that he's a gun owner, Blake Masters could always ask, what type of gun do you own? And do you think about uh, the social responsibility of these gun companies before you purchase a firearm? When was the last time you purchased a gun, Mark? I I mean, again, those are all honest questions. They're not gotcha questions. They're sincere questions. Because, again, if you believe that the firearms industry has gone off the rails... Uh, and is now catering exclusively to uh, to extremists. Why are you a gun owner? Unless maybe, again, you stopped buying guns several years ago, and now you no longer buy guns, and now you don't want to buy any guns. All you got to do is start to drill down. All you have to do is ask honest, legitimate questions. Again, they don't have to be gotcha questions, but they do have to be questions. And if they're not coming from the master's campaign, it would also be nice if we had some of these questions come from the media in Arizona as well. I will acknowledge Martha McSally's attempt to bring up gun control, I think it was during the final debate with Mark Kelly. Clunky uh, is one way of putting it. Uh, It was bad. Uh, It's been a while since I've actually gone back and, and looked at that debate, but I remember writing about it at the time. And my impression was that Martha McSally didn't know enough about Second Amendment issues to really ask the types of questions that needed to be asked. And again, she you know talked about a radical political organization. Well, that's probably not how many Arizonans view Giffords. Again, you can think that they've got um, the right intentions, right? R- reducing violent crime, leading to a safer society. It's how they want to get there. That's the problem. And again, that wasn't anything that Martha McSally really brought up. The media largely ignored it. Um, But I think, A, in this political environment with uh, gun control and violent crime being a top issue on the minds of voters, not the top issue, mind you, still the economy, but a top issue. It is not only fair for the media to ask some of these tough questions, uh, it is the responsible thing to do. Uh, But I also expect that uh, Blake Masters, who, you know, cut a campaign on the primary talking about building his own guns in his garage, is probably more intellectually equipped to bring up some of these questions for Mark Kelly if and when the two actually meet on a debate stage, if not on stage perhaps in some uh, campaign ads between now and November. We will see if Mark Kelly continues to run from his support for gun control or if he decides to run on his support for gun control. But uh, either way, gun owners in Arizona should be talking to their friends and neighbors and let them know exactly what Giffords is trying to do and what Mark Kelly really doesn't 
want to talk about. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a case out of Michigan. Why a teen's murder suspect was not sentenced in a prior shooting case. Yeah, you had somebody arrested, you had somebody charged, and again, slipped through the cracks, right? And went on to commit, uh, allegedly, an even more violent crime. This one resulted in the death of an individual. The Detroit News reports that uh, Avion Sanders uh, did not stand trial two years ago for allegedly shooting at his girlfriend because of a, quote, variety of circumstances. The 23-year-old was arraigned last Friday on first-degree murder charges in connection with the July 24th shooting death of 18-year-old Jacob Hills. Uh, Sanders is currently in the Wayne County Jail being held without bond. There's a uh, preliminary exam scheduled for uh, September 2nd, a probable cause conference coming up uh, before then. Prosecutors say that Sanders fatally shot Hills in the basement of a home in Detroit, stole the victim's AR-15 rifle after going with him to a party. Uh, At the time of the killing, the Detroit News reports that Sanders was on the run after failing to appear for a February 23rd sentencing hearing following his conviction on charges of resisting and obstructing a police officer, charges that originally included several felonies, including assault with intent to commit murder, following an incident back on October 24th of 2020, in which he allegedly shot at his girlfriend and then barricaded himself in an apartment in uh, Taylor, Michigan. The Detroit News says the case fell apart for a variety of reasons, according to court records. Um, The first uh, problem in uh, Sanders' trial took place in uh, June of last year when a judge dismissed the assault with intent to commit murder charge and other charges, quote, based on insufficient evidence. Basically, the alleged victim in this case, uh, Sanders' uh, uh, girlfriend at the time, changed her story from what she had originally told police. She testified at the preliminary hearing that she was running off to the right while the defendant and the gun were pointed to the left. And so the judge said, all right, well, good enough for me. We can dismiss those charges. Uh, he also lowered uh, Sanders' bond, uh, $50,000 or a 10% with a, a GPS tether. Uh, September 26th of last year, after amended charges were filed by prosecutors, Sanders' trial began on counts of assault with a dangerous weapon, resisting and obstructing a police officer, domestic violence, fourth-degree child abuse, and two counts of felony firearm. But again, the alleged victim in this case did not appear in court to testify. And so the judge dropped all of the charges, with the exception of resisting and obstructing a police officer. A sentencing hearing was scheduled for October 18th of last year. It was adjourned because the Wayne County Probation Department had not prepared a pre-sentence report. Probation office said it had not been able to get in touch with Mr. Sanders. Didn't realize that you had to get in touch with the defendant before you could issue a report. Seems like this gives the defendant an awful lot of leeway to ignore the law here. So after Sanders failed to contact his probation officer, he then apparently just never showed up, never took off, did take off, never appeared uh, to be sentenced. His hearing was postponed until February of this year. He failed to appear for the hearing. Bench warrant was issued for his arrest. But again, he wasn't taken into custody until after he was accused of murder. Uh, One... um, Individual with the uh, Taylor Police Department said uh, uh, that officers are frustrated with how the case played out. He said, we did a lot of work in this case, serving the community, looking out for the best interests of the victim. And it's frustrating when you see the results of all of your work 
go to waste like that. Yeah, you know, listen, sometimes when we talk about these stories, it really is, you know, it, it's you, it, you're wondering what the hell a judge has done, why a prosecutor made this decision to drop charges. In this case, I think it comes back to the fact that with the victim changing her story and then failing to show up in court, don't know why, don't know why. Could be that uh, maybe she honestly recollected, uh, oh, you know, it didn't happen the way that I said it happened. Could be that maybe Sanders intimidated her and said, listen, if you show up in court, something bad's going to happen to you. We don't know. But we do know without her testimony, it was very difficult for prosecutors to move forward, which is one of the reasons why I don't I don't beat this drum every day. But if you watch or listen to Cam and Company on a regular basis, you've heard me talk about some of the things that we need to do just to the nuts and bolts of the criminal justice system to make it function better. And one of those things is improving witness protection services. Uh, those budgets are awfully small in a lot of cases. Uh, but if witnesses don't feel protected, then they are less likely to show up in court. And when they don't show up in court, things like this happen. And then all of a sudden, somebody accused of a very violent crime goes free, only to be arrested on even more serious charges at some point in the not-too-distant future. Today's armed citizen story uh, from Ohio, uh, Emerald Township in Paulding County, Ohio, where on Saturday morning, the sheriff's office called out to investigate a shooting, which apparently started as a disturbance. This is about 745 Saturday morning. Deputies uh, called out to a, uh, a rural home in uh, Cecil, Ohio, for a trespassing complaint. When they got there, they learned that the trespasser had been shot by the property owner. Uh, according to the investigation so far, a guy named uh, Curtis Puckett, 28 years of age, was trespassing on the property of a, a man named Judd Spencer. During a verbal confrontation, Puckett attacked and assaulted, according to police, a, a 37-year-old friend of Spencer's named James Weaver. Uh, Spencer then tried to stop the assault. He gave Puckett multiple verbal warnings. But Puckett then turned towards the 52-year-old property owner and went at him, quote, in an aggressive manner, according to police. Spencer reported to investigators that he told the man to stop or he would shoot him. Puckett continued towards Spencer, and that's when Spencer fired one shot. Hit Puckett in the hip, stopped the attack. Puckett was flown to a uh, Fort Wayne hospital where he was treated and eventually released. Uh, according to the sheriff in uh, Paulding County, uh, quote, investigators believe that Mr. Puckett was under the influence of illegal drugs. Uh, the property owner and his friend were presented with a stranger acting erratically, and the man eventually became violent by physically assaulting someone. Uh, Sheriff Jason Landers says, I don't want to see people being shot, but I wholeheartedly believe that people have a right to protect themselves and their property, and in this case, it appears to be a justified self-defense situation. My investigators will continue to process the evidence in this case and work with the prosecutor to determine if any Further criminal charges are warranted. Uh, right now, Puckett is uh, being uh, charged with misdemeanor levels of assault and trespassing. He has uh, not been arrested, um, but uh, we'll see if anything uh, else arises from this case. Finally today, our good deed of the day, Fort Worth, Texas, where a, a police officer in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to help a homeless veteran start to rebuild 
his life. Officer Joe Spragans saw Tony Durvan at uh, multiple locations in Fort Worth over this past winter. Uh, he was um, actually having to respond to some business complaints because Durvan was there with his service dog. Spragans says, uh, first time I saw him, he was sleeping on the side of a Little Caesars building. As the months went on, uh, Joe Spragans started to develop a relationship with Tony Durvin. Spragans says he was always super nice and cooperative. I started asking him more questions and more questions, and he would never offer up anything about his past or anything. Uh, eventually, Spragans found out that Durvin was a war veteran. Uh, Durvin says he did three tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan, went as a fuel supply specialist. Joe Spragan says he knew that Tony Durbin wanted some help. And he said, uh, when someone like him comes along, I'm going to do everything in my power to make it happen. So Joe Spragan's reached out to a group called Operation Texas Strong. And he was able to hook up Tony Durbin with an RV, as well as a spot at an RV park in Decatur, Texas. So now he's off the streets. And now he's got a roof over his head, and now he can start to turn his life around. It's not much. It's a 1982 Winnebago, but it sure beats sleeping next to Little Caesars. Durbin says it's been a lifesaver. Just him going back and forth and coordinating, he's gone out of his way. He said, I'm very grateful. I can't put into words how grateful I really am. And now Tony Durbin says he wants to pass along. The good deeds that Joe Spragans did for him. He wants to reach out to other veterans who are out there. He says he wants to create an RV park for veterans with trailers who don't have a place that will take them. Officer Joe Spragans says people are donating small items, clothes, and even money to help Tony Durbin out as he builds his new life. And again, hopefully he wants to uh, carry that forward. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. I, I think that applies to both Officer Joe uh, Spragans, as well as Tony Durbin. And we appreciate them both for their service and their very good deeds. Now, that is all we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. I would also encourage you to check out the website throughout the day, bearingarms.com. It is where you will find the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. If you like what you see, you can also become a VIP subscriber. All you have to do, go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. And not only will you become a VIP member at Bearing Arms, but you're going to get exclusive content, news stories, analysis, stuff you won't find anywhere else because your support really does matter. And it really does make a difference. So thank you very much. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, stay cool, and be free.